0: This is Rosen Institute's Your Law Firm, where Lee Rosen and Ned Day's cover management, marketing, finance, and new technologies for building the practice you deserve. Here's Lee Rosen. It's good to be with you from Queenstown, New Zealand. We've been driving around the country in a rental car, exploring the mountains and the coastline and just all kinds of amazingly beautiful scenery. We arrived in this town yesterday and are really enjoying the tourist infrastructure here. We've stayed in a bunch of small towns without very many restaurants. We, in fact, were eating in the back of a grocery store the other day. But this town has got all the bells and whistles, all the nice restaurants, all the tourists things that you might expect we just rode up a gondola to the top of the mountain we're having a terrific time and queenstown is a wonderful place to visit
1: it's time for your tech tip i learned a lot of lessons in high school but one of the most important is that if an older man threatens you with punishment if you don't take off your clothes and embarrass yourself that says a lot more about him than it does about you Like a lot of kids, I had body image issues in my youth. These days, my favorite hobby is hiking up my underwear and contorting my arms, legs, and gut into weird positions until I can get my wife to either laugh or look away in disgust. But when I was younger, I was not so confident or comfortable in my own skin. Like a lot of awkward teenagers, the last thing in the world I wanted to do was strip down to a bathing suit in front of my classmates. I had the skin tone and complexion of an acne-riddled cave-dwelling fish, the physique of a potato, and the grooming habits of, well, a teenage boy. Now, thankfully, my high school PE class didn't involve swimming. It was mostly kickball or frisbee or throwing rocks at each other as far as I remember. But our coach loved the water, absolutely loved it. He wanted us to do a swimming lesson and one day he finally got his wish. It didn't matter that we all protested and nobody wanted a swimming lesson. It didn't matter that cramming a hundred something kids into a pool was likely a very unsafe idea. In fact, our resistance only made him more certain that he was going to get his way. Coach was on the warpath. He was not to be deterred. The school had a pool. This was Florida and come hell, high water or a mountain dew fueled insurrection, we were getting wet. He knew that this group of teenagers was none too keen to embarrass themselves, so a month in advance the threats started. Every PE period he made sure we knew the date of the big swim and the consequence if we didn't turn up with a bathing suit and a towel, a big old F for the entire semester. Objections were raised, bribes were offered, jokes were made, but Coach was adamant. The day finally came, and I did what any rule-abiding goody-two-shoes student would have done. I packed a swimsuit and a towel and went to school. It won't be that bad, I told myself. Everybody else is in the same boat. We'll all be a little embarrassed. Nobody will care. I didn't actually believe that. Deep down, I thought that everyone would be staring and giggling at me, especially Jennifer, who sits in front of me in biology. When the period for P.E. rolled around, I headed to the locker room and began to realize that a striking number of my classmates had not arrived adequately prepared for swimming. In fact, I wasn't seeing anybody else changing into a swimsuit. As it turned out, only one other guy had followed the rules. Neil. Poor old Neil, even paler than I was, about a foot taller and as skinny as a Slim Jim. A similar story was playing out in the girls' locker room. Just two of them had done as they were told and prepared themselves for humiliation. Coach was not impressed, but I was breathing a sigh of relief. I didn't want to be in this situation at all, and while there being only four of us meant that these poor girls would be somewhat traumatized by having to bob around exclusively with the pasty potato and his toothpick sidekick for the better part of an hour, that was a lot better than being in front of the whole class, especially Jennifer, who sits in front of me in biology. Now, the reasonable thing to have done in this situation would have been to thank the four of us for respecting his authority, tell us we didn't have to swim at all, and let us out early. The next best thing would have been to take the four of us to the pool for PE class and put the rest of the students in a study hall to contemplate their behavior. But Coach was not a reasonable man. He marched the whole class out to the pool, sat the abstainers in the bleachers, and told the four of us to jump in. So we did. He gave us dumb little exercises to do and we flopped around like wounded sea mammals while about 100 of our classmates sat there fully clothed and watched us in silence for 45 excruciating minutes. It was a true masterstroke. The coach had managed to reward the four of us who followed his orders, regardless of the damage to our fragile self-esteem, by putting us in a more embarrassing situation than we could possibly have imagined. Not nearly as bad as that dream where you show up to school naked, but not that far off. And, of course, the other kids didn't get an F for the semester. I can only imagine the phone calls if he had tried that. His single-minded pursuit of aquatic excellence and blind rage over the mass defiance resulted in an injustice that I clearly carry with me to this very day. Sometimes we do a similar thing in our practices. We get blinded by ambition or a sales pitch or some article we read five years ago, and we allow the great to become the enemy of the good. We shoot ourselves in the foot by latching onto some goal that's outdated or unimportant, and we terrorize our employees and make their jobs miserable by clinging to something because we've already paid for it or that's how our buddy did it and it worked great for him. Now, as much as I like to think that I learned from mistreatment in my past and would never subject other people to my harebrained ideas or allow my pursuit of the white whale to take everybody down with me, it's just not the case. But I have three pitfalls that I like to watch out for when making changes to the technology in the practice or in evaluating technology and processes in other firms. The first is building or installing or buying something without testing it and getting feedback from the people who will actually be using it. We have all been in a situation where we are blown away by a demo or a sales pitch. We drop it in the lap of our team or in our own lap and immediately find that nobody uses it. Even worse, not only do they not use it, they use the old thing, but they do it behind your back because you will get mad if they're not using the new thing. And so the new thing doesn't have the latest data, but you don't know that because why would anybody not use the new thing? Sometimes we just don't consider what's actually required to make something effective. We see a great demo with a bunch of example data and we get overly excited. I nearly signed on the dotted line for a $30,000 a year marketing automation suite when I realized that we didn't have any data to use for making decisions. So the first six months of our subscription would have been spent sitting on our hands while we waited for some numbers to roll in. Be sure that when you are adding to or upgrading what your team is already using that the people involved have had a chance to try it out and raise concerns or make revisions. Nobody likes to be blindsided by something new and then disallowed from using what they were comfortable with before. The second pitfall, and one that I am absolutely terrible about, is not following the best practices and guidelines of the software, services, and tools that I buy. I have a terrible habit of determining that I want to do something in a very specific way because obviously my way is the best, and then fighting with the software trying to do things my way. I hear a lot of attorneys say things like, This software is for salespeople. I'm an attorney. That's true, but you also sell things. We have a lot to learn by adopting the paradigms and expertise of other domains. Now, there are certainly going to be times when you have a specialized process that needs to be done the way you want it done. Don't make yourself miserable by forcing a square peg into a round hole. But by the same token, we can learn a lot from processes developed in other industries that specialize in systems outside the wheelhouse of law practice. And the last pitfall is waiting for perfection, waiting for the next version when they've ironed out all the bugs, waiting for that feature on the roadmap before pulling the trigger. Every day, Lee and I do a call. I spend the first minute and a half fighting with my audio setup. I have some crappy $15 mono Bluetooth earbud off of Amazon acting as my speaker and a convoluted desktop microphone setup running through a USB audio interface. I could just buy myself a set of AirPods and call it a day, but the next version is going to be way better. I've been saying this since the first iteration of the AirPods many years ago. It's become a bit of a joke between us. We laugh and carry on, but I can tell that each day he dies a little inside, asking himself, why won't this idiot just buy the damn AirPods? Why do I have to listen to him fumble with all of his wires and devices every single morning? Well, you see, the battery life on the AirPods but isn't I don't as want good to as call $15 my $15 because, because the microphone is on my fancy. It's the infinite excuse. There will always be a new model of phone or computer on the horizon, a new feature on the developer's roadmap, a better, sleeker app in beta for doing whatever it is that we do. And some of us will convince ourselves that the homebrew solution we've hacked together is actually better because I'm the pro or that's the way my grandpappy did it or whatever. The solutions available now aren't perfect, but the next solution won't be perfect either. Stop waiting and just get it done. Out of sheer morbid curiosity, I decided to look up what old Coach is doing these days, and I kid you not, he is a psychiatric mental health professional specializing in anxiety and depression. I can only hope that he feels at least a little bit guilty for the anxiety he inflicted on this poor, delicate little flower. Don't abuse yourself or your team on some misguided quest for glory and perfection. And if you do, at least let them suffer with dignity and not in front of the whole class, especially Jennifer, who sits in front of me in biology. I'm Ned Days, and that's your tech tip.
0: And now for your moment of concise advice, don't spend more marketing a legal service than the service is worth. I've seen a lot of firms struggle with this balance and I believe that getting it right is critical to the success of your business. You understand the value of your services and you understand the expertise that you bring to your clients. However, when it comes to marketing your law firm, it becomes really difficult to determine how much money you should be spending to attract new clients. This is where that balance between marketing expenses and the price of legal services comes into play. You've got to get this balance right. Let me give you an example. Suppose your law firm spends $1,000 on Google ads to attract a client who is seeking a do-it-yourself, an unbundled divorce just to pick a practice area. Now, you've got an unbundled offering to help those folks who don't want full-service representation. You've come up with a package to help those people, and it sells for, let's say, $1,500. Well, in this scenario, if you're spending $1,000 on Google Ads to attract a client who's only going to pay $1,500, well, the marketing cost is simply too high when you compare the revenue generated to the cost of the marketing. This is a bad deal for your law firm. And if you engage in this, if you spend $1,000 to attract a $1,500 client, well, then you're going to find yourself struggling to stay profitable in the long run. So what can you do about it? How can you fix the problem? Well, it's a tough problem to fix because the reality is there are other lawyers in your market practicing family law. And they are likely driving up the advertising price to that thousand dollar level because they're not selling a fifteen hundred dollar package. They're offering something that costs much more. They're selling full service representation. They may be charging a fee of ten or twenty or thirty thousand dollars for that case and so their expenditure of a thousand dollars to acquire a client makes economic sense. They can afford to pay a higher price to attract the attention of their prospective clients because the fees are so much higher. And unfortunately, you're fishing in the same pond as those folks offering that higher-priced service. So you're not going to be able to justify The cost of this advertising for your offering. Another example, let's say you spend a dozen hours each year networking and cultivating relationships to get referrals for trademark work just to pick another practice area. Maybe you've really been working hard to get a particular referral source to send you business and I commend you for your effort. But if you're using that relationship and those referrals to get a handful of trademark packages sold at a low fee, let's say $2,500, well, that becomes a very expensive marketing approach. You're spending lots of time that might have been billable to get a relatively small dollar amount in revenue. You're spending these big bucks in the form of billable time for relatively low revenue for the law firm and The reality is that this is probably another example of a bad deal for your law firm. So what's the solution? Well, the key here is to ensure that your marketing expenses are only a small fraction of the revenue generated. If your firm bills $50,000 for a complex litigation case, well, then spending $5,000 on marketing efforts to acquire the client for that case, well, that may be a worthwhile investment. But if your firm is only billing $1,500 for a do-it-yourself divorce, well, then spending $1,000 on marketing is simply not a good use of your resources. If you're selling a low-priced legal service then you need inexpensive marketing or, and this is usually a better approach, you need to find a more expensive legal service to market. The reality is that most law firms that are highly profitable are selling something at a higher price point. That may not help all of the folks with legal problems find solutions to those problems, but it does tend to make law firms more profitable. Now, as you evaluate your marketing expenditures and you compare them to the revenue that you're going to generate from those expenditures it's also important that you consider the lifetime value of your clients while a one time do it yourself divorce may only generate $1500 in revenue that same client might return to your law firm for other legal needs in the future, and that would generate more revenue for the law firm over time. So there is value in looking at more than that initial expenditure as you are evaluating the investment in client acquisition. You need to do the math and make sure that you're accounting for all of the revenue generated by your marketing tactics. But when you do that math, far too often, you are going to find That a legal service offered at a low price simply can't justify the marketing expenditure necessary to acquire the client for that service. Delivering low-cost legal services present a very difficult challenge when it comes to running a profitable law firm. So today's message, get engaged with the math. Figure out what you're spending to generate each dollar of revenue and don't spend more on marketing a legal service than that service is worth. That's your moment of concise advice. Wrapping up from Queenstown, New Zealand, thanks for spending a few minutes with me and Ned today. We hope you have a great weekend and an even better week next week. Keep plugging away, moving forward, getting things done. You're on the right track. You'll get there, I promise. We're all in this together, and together we build better practices through better marketing, better management, and better technology. Until next time, I'm Lee Rosen. Thanks for listening to Your Law Firm. Visit rosensrules.com for our free course on the 10 Critical Rules Successful Law Firms Follow.